0: Uh, Welcome back to a brand new episode of Two Please. I'm your host, Tabin. And I'm your co-host, Rohit. Before we get to today's episode topic, I have one very important favor to ask you. I would really appreciate it if you liked the video and followed us on whatever platform that you're listening to this on. And please do go follow us on Instagram at Two Please Pod. I'll leave a link to the actual uh, Instagram page below. Go check it out and uh, please do follow us. It really helps us getting our podcast out to you and to several others like you that like what we're doing. Now, continuing on with sequel month, uh, we have part two to the rewatchables episode that we loved recording earlier last year. But yeah, it's standard format, right? Today, we're doing what? Three plus three. So a total of six shows and, yep. and movies um yep. across an hour, hopefully under, depending on how much we, we blabber. And yeah. yeah, at the end of it, if you haven't watched or like, or check one of these out, you'll probably be inclined to, or if you have watched or checked one of these six entertainment pieces out, uh, you'll probably be agreeing with us on, on why they're so rewatchable. I'm going to stop talking as per usual and let's start the show. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. Last time we did this, I don't think we did films. I think we—I don't think we did television shows. We did primarily movies. So yeah. um, this time we're mixing Which it up. Is why this time I was like, I purposely was like, Hey,
1: I actually end up rewatching shows more than movies. Why not talk about and add a show exactly. in there somewhere. And exactly. Brooklyn Nine-Nine would have been my top choice, but we've done an entire episode on the show Uh all of the other rewatchable episodes shows I have are from The showverse, And I was like, okay, let's pick another show that I like. Which is why I have a show. Do you have a show in your list as well? I have two shows. <laughs>
0: oh, damn. Nice. Cool. I'm, I am the show man today, anyway. <coughs> <Yes>. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. Thanks. So, moving on. Uh, let's, let's quickly cut to the chase. Uh, what do you have? What do you want to start with? It's okay. So, I'll start with
1: my TV show. I want to yes. talk about... The show Derry Girls, mm-hmm. which is a 2019, I think 2018, 2019, uh, Northern Irish show. I mean, it's an English show. It's set in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland. It's uh, The show is set in the early 90s, early to mid 90s. And it revolves around the Troubles. Uh, mm-hmm. Quick history lesson for, for those of who you may not be aware uh, of the Troubles. It was basically this sector i I've mentioned this when i was i've spoken about dairy girls before, but let me give you a quick recap again yeah. it was this uh sectarian conflict between the uh, Irish Catholics and the northern Irish protestants. The seeds of the conflict were sown all the way back i think in the sixteen seventies when the the British supported the protestants because the British Church or the Church of England was Protestant and uh, British loyalists were unfairly given land in in, in Irish land and blah, blah, blah. So all, one thing mm. led to another over centuries and as yeah. the Irish famously hold a grudge, uh, things were festering for decades, centuries together. It was around the 60s when tensions really flared up, uh, a lot of conflict, bloodshed on both sides, uh, people might, must have heard of the IRA or the Irish Republican yeah. Army, which was basically this force that was a, essentially a terrorist organization fighting for Northern Ireland, Ireland to secede from mainland Ireland and mm-hmm. or Main Ireland. And uh, so the characters of this show live in Northern Ireland, which is primarily Protestant, but mm-hmm. they are Catholics. So there yeah. is a small Catholic community that lives, you know... There's a nervous compromise or peace mm-hmm. uh, between the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland, and these characters live there. So, and the our our focus is on these four teenage girls and, and a guy. I think yeah, four girls and a guy mm-hmm. uh, who are sort of coming of age during the fag end of the troubles. So, them mm-hmm. and their parents have sort of grown up in this environment of uncertainty, paranoia, fear. And yet, the show is a comedy about the missteps and the the you know the ups and downs of discovering yourself, you know, becoming a teenager, becoming an adult, so to speak, and uh, the whole juxtaposition of the seriousness of the troubles uh, is balanced beautifully with uh, with the humor of of the you know the misadventures that these guys get up to, um, and. Uh, that's what I mean, there, there are there are in episodes there are moments which bring some gravity to the situation, immediately followed by the levity. So that you know that that whole flip flop of moods is handled beautifully in the scripting and in the screenplay of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, great acting all around. Uh, there's characters of uh, I mean, just to name a few characters. There's Michelle, Orla, uh, the guy, the British, and the guy is uh, a Brit guy who is a cousin of one of the girls. So you know, there's an added humor <laughs> dynamic there. They, uh, they love him, but they also rib him for being British. Who, he's named mm-hmm. James. So there's the other two girls. There's Claire and the lead is uh, Erin, Erin Quinn. And mm-hmm. the girls' characters, her, their parents, uh, their uh, school's headmistress, who is probably my favorite character in the show. <laughs> uh, such well-written, well-rounded characters. Quirky enough, given the surreality of the situation they're all in, but also very human in their own ways. Uh, and the show has a very Northern Irish, I mean Irish, uh, sense of humor. In that it's it's a little mm-hmm. crass, and I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, it's that the I think the right term is ribald, you know, ribald humor. It's a little dirty, but it's it's hilarious, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's not British humor. It's definitely not American. It's a distinct flavor of its own. Uh, it's it's amazing and just, I, I love the whole, you know, Irish, Scottish accent. So even, even, you know, tonally to watch the show for me, it's very pleasing. I love the way they say things. In fact, there's a story about uh, Derry Girls that happened with me and my wife Poonam a couple of months back. But I'm going to get to that story after I hear your thoughts on the show.
0: So no, this is a show I got into very recently. We mentioned it on the, on, on the sitcoms episode, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. We, we spoke about it there and then I began watching it uh, a lot more frequently and it's one of the shows I watch whenever I'm like, having a lunch, uh, having sort of a meal. And uh, it's, it is absolutely hilarious. I find myself laughing uncontrollably about it. There is there's the one episode, which I think is in, in the first season, where um, they see where a statue of Jesus is supposedly crying. Oh, man. And... <laughs> <That> is... <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But there's a whole, like, slightly uh, unfortunate incident that has led to uh, this so-called miracle, right? And, uh, these, and these four girls have borne witness to it. There's so many hilarious instances that they find themselves in in the midst of what is evidently a very uh, chaotic time in their lives. And it's just that it, it highlights a lot of the, what do you call it, a lot of the, the day-to-day struggles, the day-to-day problems that people like you and me would, would find ourselves in and struggles with your parents, struggles with family members, issues with school. And all of this juxtaposed against the background backdrop of, um, uh, of the troubles, as you mentioned, it, I find to be very refreshing. And it's not, and, and, and a very hilarious take. And there are some extremely interesting characters in there. And I think one of my personal favorites is a character that doesn't, it's not a main feature, but he pro- features prominently through the show and that's Uncle Com. Uh, Uncle Com's uh, <laughs> delivery, or rather his his storytelling technique, is it, it's so monotonous and it, it's so drawn out, but it's absolutely hilarious. And every time he's on screen, I just burst out laughing. The girls, I think Erin and or- Orla specifically, are just absolutely hilarious. Uh, yeah. And I haven't caught up. With it entirely, I'm still watching through it as, I'm, as, as I have many a lunch or, or, or a dinner, I was about to say. but yeah, <laughs> It's definitely one of the more nicer shows to have come out of, of the UK in the last couple of years. I highly recommend that you do check it out to anybody that is interested in, in, in a light-hearted comedy that addresses real world, a, a real-world situation and is not afraid to poke fun, of, uh, 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 poke fun at the times that the, the show is, is set in. So you, I, my personal thing is, I, I, I really like the show, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you check it out.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, more to the point, you mentioned it. Just, I was kind of trying to articulate how I felt about the juxtaposition you said, right? Them growing mm-hmm. up in in these times, I think the show really puts across the point of the insularity of teenage years of the of your yeah. teenage years. In the sense, even you think about ourselves, right? When we were growing up, our world was so small it's like hey mm. does that girl like me is there something happening there oh why is my friend not talking to me you know like much bigger shit is happening around us but when you're a teenager your worldview inevitably or invariably becomes so small you're you're a lot worried a lot more worried about your what's happening in your immediate vicinity which is silly in a way but i mean that is what being a teenager is right it is being silly it is being myopic it is being stupid and I don't know. I love the way that, that message
0: comes across throughout the show. The insularity of childhood is, is, a, is a, great, um, way, it's a great way to put it as to how these things don't really shake our well-being unless it actually happens to us in the flesh. Uh, and yeah. Derry Girls does a, a very interesting job. But it's like you know that there's is, there is this thing happening but also life has to go on. And as yeah. life goes on along... Comes it's several set of problems that that we all have to deal with.
1: Yeah. So quickly, let me uh, let me tell you the, the story. I don't know if I've already told you this in person, have been, but uh, mm-hmm. a couple of months ago, when Poonam and I were in Vietnam, there was this one uh, trek we were on where we were with a bunch of folks. Some of them were from the UK, some from Japan, New Zealand, and there were a, a couple of other fo- a couple of other people who were walking with us, and we were just chatting with them. like, uh, Where are you from, etc. And I like to believe I have a good ear for accents. Like generally, I'm interested in accents. So mm-hmm. this guy was talking to me and uh, I asked him, Hey, are you, so you sound Irish, are you Irish? He's like, yeah, I am. And uh, then we were just talking about some other things. And um, so the, because of this show, because of Derry Girls, I kind of know now that uh, Northern Irish say spe- certain words a specific way. Uh, mm-hmm. like now how it's, they pronounce it as Noi, hoy," right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, during conversation, I, I remember his name. I think his name was Michael. Yeah. So mm-hmm. During conversation, Michael was like, he said Noi in some context. And I, I caught that. And then I turned, I asked him, I turned to him and I was like, uh, are you from Northern Ireland? And his face was like, he was just shocked. He's like, how do you know that? <laughs> I, like, I, I have my way, I have my ways. <laughs> then I think uh, I I shook him a little. Then I'm like, no, no, no I'm not fucking with you. Uh, I watched this show called Derry Girls. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan, etc. And then turns out Michael is from Derry. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I think P- Poonam was a few steps ahead of me. She just heard the words Derry Girls and she turned around and she asked me, like, what are you discussing Derry Girls for? Then I told her Michael is from Derry. Poonam was just like, oh my God, I have to ask him everything about Dairy. Derry. <laughs> And then for the rest of the trek, Poonam's just like asking him questions. How is it in dairy? What do you do? Do people actually sound like they do in the show? And, uh, you know, in the show, they use the word we. In it. The word we is a very uh, versatile word, right? It can, yeah. it can fit mm-hmm. in many contexts. It should mean small, but we can be used mm-hmm. as you as needed. So Poonam was asking about the word we... And towards the end, I was like, uh, I think you're starting to make him a little uncomfortable, Poonam. Just like, back off a little. Yeah, he's, yeah, no um, shit, Poonam.
0: He's, like, he's gone on a trek to get away dairy, from... He's not much. <laughs> Yeah, like... Poonam, I know you don't listen to this, but if you listen to this... Like, like don't harass Irishmen on treks in Vietnam. <laughs> but that was a... I mean... The
1: show uh, led 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 to us having a very nice and like we became friends. We exchanged numbers. We kept in touch. Nice, it's good. I mean, if it wasn't for Derry Girls, that wouldn't have happened.
0: Nice, interesting. So funny how <laughs> you know how, how things work sometimes. Yeah, but cool. Uh, anything more to add on Derry Girls, or shall we look to nope in the interest of time? I'm all done Noi. Ah, nice. All right, let's uh, let's quickly move on to mine. And my first is also a a TV show, Uh, but it's set in Japan and it's it's an anime. I feel like I'm I'm really bringing the anime representation to our show off late. Um, know Somebody has to. Somebody has to and it will be me. Anyway, so this is uh, is what an anime that I call, I mentioned it in the past, I call this a gateway anime because of two things. It's not overly complicated to get into. It is a a complicated show, but it's not, uh, the premise isn't overly complicated and it's about 36 episodes so with at at about 20 minutes 25 minutes an episode so it's it, it it flies by really quickly and you can wrap up the whole thing in a weekend if you're really into it which most people who do watch the show really tend to get into i am talking about the japanese anime death note which is based on the manga of the same name now if you haven't seen death note you are i must say in a very small minority its popularity has been um uh, has has been part of the cultural zeitgeist for those of you who are playing 2 Please Bingo uh, <laughs> for many a year. In fact, it got so bad and, I, and I'll speak about this in, in detail as we go on when, I talk, when, I, when we refer to its impact uh, that people like the, it, it led to an epidemic of people right, holding on to so-called death notes across the world and I think it got banned as a result in Japan for a, for a hot minute and then it was brought back. So the premise is simple. There are two worlds. There's the human realm and then there's the demon realm. And uh, a demon or in this case a spiritual creature like called a Shinigami named Ryuk drops his death note into the human realm and it is picked up by this Japanese student called Yagami. Now Light is the top of his class, extremely um, intelligent dude who discovers it, thinks it's some sort of a joke and um, you know the instructions in the book say that if you were to write a person's name down, they will die uh, in 40 seconds. And if you specify the way that you want them to die, they will die exactly the same. He ends up trialing it out on a bunch of criminals and realizes that, oh, this book is the shit. And then decides to cleanse the world of all evil and criminals. So as a result, people in prison start dying in droves. Um, Like famous mob bosses start throwing themselves off like their, uh, off buildings. And nobody has a clue as to why. So they bring in a detective named L, and only as L, who is like the modern-day Sherlock Holmes, and it's up to him to figure out what is happening. And then, uh, thus, a game of cat and mouse ensues between L and Light as they, you know, as they take part in this battle of wits, which makes for extremely engaging viewing. Now, um, I personally think about up to about 25 episodes of the show, it is absolutely perfection. I think um, there is, as a matter of fact, episode 25 is one of those iconic episodes in television because it's so damn good. And like there's a whole play that is set up through series, a series of episodes that finally comes to fruition in that episode. And, it's, and you're just like, oh, wow, checkmate. This is amazing. Uh, and it this is a show I, I go back to repeatedly. Like I've seen this when I first, I first saw this in college back in 2009, 2010. And every other year, I watch the whole series in its entirety. And I don't think for a single rewatch has it's ever lost, has it ever lost its um its charm or rather its it, the things that make it so great. It's super engaging. It kind of has like a bit of quirkiness to cater to like the, the standard anime crowd. But it is it, it's it's a it's a thriller. It's a thriller told over 36 thirty-six episodes. And mm-hmm. if you haven't watched it and if you really enjoy like good intelligent television, you should you should check this out. Because it combines like um, like I said, like a battle of wits, but also adds a little bit of the supernatural into it. Like Ryuk is this floating character that goes around. He looks like the devil, but is the cutest thing ever. Like he has a huge penchant for apples. So he mm-hmm. almost is like the comic relief of, of the show. And uh, there's it's a super engaging experience. Netflix made a movie on it. Don't watch it. It is absolutely terrible. Um, completely butchers the source material. If you have not watched it, it's on Netflix everywhere. I think it's on Netflix globally. You have to go check this out. It's, it's so damn good and it probably might lead you to checking out other more, let's say, like other more intense anime television shows or even movies that you otherwise would not have found uh, yourself looking for. Mhm. Uh
1: okay. My thoughts. Firstly, I want to ask you said the names are Light agami and L, is it? L, yeah. That that's interesting because uh the Japanese language, if I remember correctly, does not have the letter L. I do you remember this quiz funda that used to come because uh you yeah. have these words called shibblets which yes. are words that uh, are used basically to catch the enemy like Shibulet for it is it, it's itself a shibblet where you ask a Japanese to say "shibolet" because L doesn't exist in Japanese language. They end up call, say pronouncing it as Shiborret. Shib- That's
0: how you yeah. know
1: uh, uh, that a spy is a Japanese and not. I'm surprised that an anime has characters called Light Agami and L. L is a little on the face. L, yeah, I think it's,
0: it's, it seems to be very like deliberate. Is is my opinion because I, I, there's even like this, this is something that I know and it was even back back. In the day, I was like, okay, it's odd given that there are two main characters starting with L, and mm. there is there are other. Then they introduce two other characters like Melo and Nia, who are all I mean, also like yeah. So it's the it's um, every decision I'd like to say, or every um, yeah, I think every is deliberate, is deliberate. Yeah, so interesting, interesting.
1: I have watched. I think. Two two and a half episodes of this, I really wanted to get into it when it first got on Netflix. I'm like, hey, even I know of Death Note. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, even back in college, I remember it was you. It was Mon. Mon was a big mm-hmm. uh, proponent of, uh, I mean, a big promoter of uh, Death Note. And even have not having watched anything up until up until last year when I tried watching, even I know of uh, Shakujo. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, like you said, even if you haven't watched it, uh, I'm sure you've heard of it uh, in one way or the other. It has permeated the the phrase, and I'm not going to repeat, which we always do. It has permeated Mm -hmm. that quite a Mm -hmm. bit. Uh, But coming back, I've watched two, two and a half episodes. I just feel uh, uh, the narrative and editing approach in Japanese anime needs a bit of getting used to. Mm. It is. It's different, right? The, yeah. the cuts they do between scenes. There is. There's almost a trans. It's the transition. It's very different. It's. It's manic at points. It's almost trans. It's. I don't know how to explain it. I was
0: just like. It's very self-reflective. Am, like each each decision yeah. uh, is is deliberated. There are moments where they are in isolation, and you can just see hear them thinking, and uh, a lot of anime's... And, and, and that's a, and if you've noticed I think if you watch Creed 3 Creed 3 the the final boxing sequence is almost is taken start of a bunch of animes there's a Dragon Ball Z punch in there there's some references to Hajime no Epo. and you know like thinking while you're boxing and you know, having loud inner in monologue yeah, yeah exactly yeah mm, that was the reason I was like
1: uh, I'll, I'll revisit this another time and maybe I should because I know for a fact it's really good right it's uh, there is enough and more c- critical evaluation out there that says it's a masterpiece. Oh yeah, I, I probably sure. will get around to it. But uh, you said the, what happened with the last eleven episodes after twenty-five? You said they sort of what they dropped down in quality or something.
0: No, I think because um, there is an event that happens. There's something that happens in the show, and that's not exactly supposed to, that is almost is very shocking. And uh, mm-hmm. I believe the urban legend was that. That's where the writer wanted to finish. Intended. That's right. Intended for it to finish. And I think a bunch of officials in, in 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 higher offices were like, no, you can't fucking do that. And as a result, it's like... he, he I mean, he finished off the ending in, in, in a slightly more uh, uh, appealing way. And I'm not saying the ending is bad. As a matter of fact, the ending is almost phenomenal. And it's kind of... Uh, you always want to see what these characters are doing you want to see what l is up to or you, you you want to see that uh, the thought process behind it all and you want to see who comes out on top right mm-hmm. and it's at the at the end of it you're just it it, it was like okay um this is uh, th- this happened this i guess this had this had to happen in in this way uh, but it it's like once episode once you hit episode 25 and once you 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 get that those first episodes fee, it's, of when, it's
1: a little downhill.
0: Yeah, because the tension releases post-25. And then again, it builds mm-hmm. back up. But for the first 25 episodes, mm-hmm. uh, maybe like the first four episodes are basically set up as to what mm-hmm. um this this guy is and when and what and who L is. And then it just builds up to like a, a point where it's it's so taut and the screenplay is just going. There is one mm-hmm. irritating female character that's introduced in Misa Misa. Which who is this pop star that also has a death? Is note that a reference disposal. to Jaja Binks or something? No, maybe who knows, dude. Like if, <laughs> if, if you, you never know with, with with Japanese anime. They could be the thing, but uh, it's like she plays a pivotal part. She's not just there for eye candy or anything. She's, she's a plays a pivotal part in the entire story, and um, it's it. it, it that maybe you could fault it during episodes, let's say, 11 to 15, 11 to 16, where it kind of slows down to build up her character and build up her relationship with uh, with Light. So, but it, it's worth it. Like, the payoff is absolutely incredible. Um, it is a great show that you have to watch. And I'm sure, like, it's on Netflix. So It's, just, it's one of those 25-minute episodes that you can just jump in, watch, and then suddenly realize you've been sucked in for about Four hours and you just can't stop. You stop yourself from watching more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's that kind mm-hmm. of. I TV. think I'm going to rec-
1: break through that. The first few episodes, and...
0: I will literally you take you. your word. I will. Me. I make it a point for you to watch this. This is. I usually don't. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> fine, do what you want. But this is the one thing. I'm like, no, I got to make you watch this because if you remember, like when we were in college, and this is a little. I introduced uh, Nathan, who was a close friend of ours, to the. Um, death note and he was like I don't like anime whatever this that this that he got so into it he ended up changing his profile yeah, yeah. to like <laughs> to like light and shit he, got, <laughs> he was really in like there was a big big death note phase where he was like quoting from it and I was like wow okay I didn't expect it to go that way but it did so if it could have an impact yeah, on, a like that, on the dude like that yeah and it could have an impact on the dude like that Uh well <laughs> You should definitely check true, true. I'm a lot more
1: susceptible. I will, I will definitely check it out.
0: Cool, cool. Okay,
1: let's move on. So that's that's uh, death note. Yes. Mm. Coming on to my second entry into today's list. Uh, I mean, it feels mm. weird to talk about this monumental Hindi film in in what is essentially a non way, right? Because this is probably one of those movies that deserves a deep dive of its own. And maybe we will now, much down the line, much further down the line, revisit oh. it. But uh, today, I want to talk about this movie because for me, it is a rewatchable. Uh, hmm. I want to talk about 19s. I I better not get this year wrong. People will come home and hit me. I think 1975's Shole. Yeah, 1975's Shole. Directed by Ramesh Sipi, starring Dharmendra, Amita Bachchan, Jaya Bachchan, Hema Malni, Amjad Khan. Sanjeev Kapoor, sorry Sanjeev Kumar, and a bunch of other folks. Um, essentially, uh, Kurosawa redux, uh, mm. but but that is doing it a disservice. Uh, again, I, I am very afraid to dis because I don't want to be pelted on the street. I, I uh, think it's fine it to have the opinion
0: hobby. that it's not. a good, I mean, it's not. It's, it's a Hindi cinema royalty, but you can be of the opinion that it's not exactly a commodity.
1: It, no, no, I love the movie. I mean, that mm. is why it is. It is uh, in my rewatchables list. I'm saying it's not original, which is fine. I mean, it's it's okay. Uh, all art is derivative to varying degrees, right? It's, yeah. Some more than others. Shole is probably more in the upper percentile of derivation. But uh, essentially, it's a story about two guys who are these happy-go-lucky sort of petty criminals who, or uh, rather, guns for hire is the right word, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they come in to save, help this village called Ramgad. uh, Of which uh, Sanjeev Kumar is sort of like the pseudo Uh, Mukhiya. He's more like the leader figure, unofficial leader figure because in his past life, he was a policeman and therefore as a a law enforcement officer, he's looked up to. Uh, This Mm -hmm. village of Ramgad is terrorized by a bunch of dacoits led by the, the now famous Kabbar Singh. Mm. Uh, Gabbar Singh uh, what is his father's name? Hari Singh Mm. again going back to Jankar anyways so (laughs) led by the infamous Gabbar Singh Uh, I think career defining role I I mean no platitude does it justice it's probably the the most iconic role in Bollywood I would say the most iconic role in all of Bollywood Gabbar Singh played by Amjad Khan Uh, and the rest of the movie is basically a, a back and forth between uh, Jaya and Veeru, uh, played by Amitabh and Dharmendra respectively, uh, who are sort of uh, trying to get or trying to kill slash capture Amjad Khan. And Sanjeev Kumar ha- himself has a past uh, with Amjad Khan, which over the course of the... I can't believe I'm explaining Sholay.
0: Who the <laughs> fuck has not watched Shole? <laughs> <laughs> hey, there are people out there who haven't seen it, dude. Oh,
1: uh, fuck them. So... <laughs> so Uh, throughout the course of the movie, you kind of realize the past that Sanjeev Kumar has had. And he has a personal angle as well. It's not just enforcing the law. He has personal vendetta against Amjit Khan, that score that he has to settle. And uh, yeah, it's essentially a Western. And I I don't think India, up until that point, had Westerns. Mm. India didn't do Westerns. It it is a very American genre. I mean, you don't have Westerns even in uh, the UK, Europe, because... Westerns come from the fact that there was this whole period in the late 19th century when pioneers went west and sort of drew out the Indians and mm. uh, settled new lands. So that f- historical phenomenon never existed outside of the US. So Westerns is, a, is an out-and-out out American concept. So we never really had them yeah. in India. They kind mm. of adapted to the fact that Ramgarh is so shown to be this Chambal Valley-esque village. You know, it's a little dry... It's a little dusty. So you they sort of recreate that deserty feel of a Western. And everyone rides horses. So, so you know, there's that more of that Western feel again. Although Ramgad was shot close to Bangalore, like in Ramnagar, like 60 kilometers yeah. from Bangalore. So, um, not very Western y at all in reality. But so that, and I think Shole may have been the first Western, and I'm sure its influence is visible in movies like Joshi Le, movies like Chinatown, which were other westerns that have come out in the 90s, early late 90s. Joshi Le starring Anil Kapoor and Jackie Shroff? I don't remember. Chinagate again know, has a whole something. bunch of people. Yeah. Joshi Le is a terrible movie, don't watch. <laughs> I, I watched it because it looks
0: shole So Sounds that exactly like, it's, it's a movie that sounds exactly that like a movie I would love to watch. Terrible films are my jam. Yeah, the
1: title track is addictive. I'm not going to sing it, but anyways. See. Um, again, in in what do I say about Sholay? Right, iconic dialogues, iconic songs, iconic characters. Uh, this movie has sort of entered the Indian. What do I say? Vocabulary like lexicon. reference cheat cheat sheet mm-hmm. lexicon in in ways that I don't think any other movie. I don't think any movie in any other Film industry I know has entered it to that extent, hmm. uh, or permeated it to that extent. Like every line, even the most obscure line that you know, A.K. Hangal's character who is the blind guy, like "itna Sannata kyu hai, bhai." Uh. It's a throwaway line by a throwaway <laughs> character, but even that is iconic. Like even to this day, around Holi, I know there are memes that go around when people don't know when what the exact date is. People are like, "Holi kab hai? Kab hai Holi?" Uh. <laughs> even the randomest line. Wow. It's it's insane. And I think Amjad Khan before this role was... I don't think he had anything big to his name. He was an up-and-coming actor who was like bit parts in some movies. I think he was in Sat Hindustani with uh, Amitabh, if I remember correctly. So that was probably his most visible role to that date. 1971 mm-hmm. Saat Hindustani. But mm-hmm. uh, suddenly overnight with Shole, he was the bad man. Like, he's still the bad man against which... All antagonists in, in uh, Bollywood are compared. I would say the only one who comes close to Gabur Singh's stature is Mogambo. Other than that, there is no iconic villain in that echelon, in that upper echelon. It's only the two of them.
0: This movie famously wasn't received well when, um, when it was released, right? Crit- critically, was anyway. Wow. critically, anyway. Critically, anyway. Critically, yeah, I'm sure. It was... Um, I mean, I think it was a hit for sure, but Mm. um, it didn't, directors thought it was, or rather critics thought it was like a a, a half-baked kind of film. I mean, it is essentially two samurai. It's a
1: seven samurai with two people. It is exactly (laughs) the same story of seven samurai with two people. Mm. So Mm. I, I get that, right? It is, I mean, if I were to sit down, take a piece of paper and pen and, you know, really write down my critical gra- like grouses with the f- with the movie, I can b- draw up an extensive list.
0: That's not what we're It's an experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, and right off the bat, right? Even even the music, like, the credit song is this whole... <laughs> <laughs> it's a full-on, like, R.D. Barman has full-on ripped off any Omoricon. From yeah. the whole man with no name. It's got that same vibe. But you're like, it puts you in the mood. You're like, you know what? I am... I can imagine in 1975 going to the theatres and the credits rolling. I'm like, I've never heard this sort of music before. It's transporting yeah. to me, me to a world I've not seen. Fuck what the critics say. I'm here to have a good time. And mm. on the promise of, you know, giving you a good time, Shole fucking delivers. Mm. Nice. So, and yeah, it's one of those movies always on TV. I don't know. I have lost count of how many times I've watched it.
0: I, funnily enough, haven't seen it as many times as people think you would have. I mean, it was, it was on television all the time, but I, in its entirety, yeah, yeah. I must have watched about three, four times. Um, and like, I think Amitabh Bhajan's Jai was was like a childhood hero of mine at the time because he had that whole yeah. that that strut. And when he when and he died, cool he spoilers for spoilers for sure, for sure. like, come on. I was like, oh, dude, that that whole. The dynamic that Dharmendra and him had for me was, was the real one of the biggest selling points of that film. Of course, yeah. you have iconic characters, but Jai Viru are like they call Jai Viru for a reason, right And for years, Bollywood has tried to ape the uh, the Jai Viru dynamic and succeeded sometimes, otherwise failed spectacularly. Uh, In like fact, Jai Viru
1: them- is still like a. Slang term
0: for people who are best friends. Like, yeah, basically. And uh, the Rang Gopal Varma remake that I saw was absolutely horrendous, and I would highly recommend that you don't watch it. Uh, if you want a more modern take on Shole, there are better films. But if Sholay itself, uh, for what it represents to Indian cinema, is is a great film, and uh, actually, I don't know. It's been a while since I have watched it. I'll probably watch it this week.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think my, my most distinct memory, I was just thinking back, right? The earliest I watched, I think I was five or six at the time mm-hmm. it was on TV. And uh, first time I was watching it. And when Jai dies, uh, Biru is all obviously his tear stricken yeah, face. Yeah. He looks mm-hmm. up and, you know, he has that angry, determined expression. He's like, Kutte mette drink kun blood. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I remember thinking, Ew, why the fuck do you want to drink his blood? Dude? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But again, iconic line. it's it uh, surely brings back a like, lot of childhood memories. It's, it's uh, a
0: part of it. Okay. So I don't have much to add on it. I mean, we'll we've, we've we've all <laughs> there is to be said to it. Let, us, let, us, let, let us. us move on to another movie that I have somehow didn't realize until I put, it, I put up my list. I didn't realize that, that the number of times I'd actually rewatched it. And this is 2013's Wolf of Wall Street. Starring Leo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill, uh, an undiscovered Margot Robbie at the time, uh, John Bernthal. Uh, John Duardin, yeah, John Duardin. So you name it, like whoever was big in the 2010s, um, are all in this yeah. movie. Directed by Matthew uh, by McConaughey, Martin's, very briefly. Yeah, Matthew, yeah, of course, yeah. Matt, directed by Martin Scorsese, based on the book of the same name by by Jordan <laughs> Belfort. And it tells a story of a Wall Street stockbroker who decides to set up his own investment firm and basically makes his fortune of duping people into into buying penny stocks. And the lifestyle that he leads and how ultimately it all comes crashing down around his ears. And this this is a movie that when I first watched, I watched this movie with my parents in in a movie theater, which is still one of the most Traumatic movie experiences I have ever had to sit through uh, because it's, it's just uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Wow! Mm. Uh, it's absolutely I'm uncomfortable. Um, you, you thank you. Your sympathies have been received <laughs> graciously. But um, coming back, coming back to the film, right now the, the movie it's it's almost it's a black comedy. I think I, I can go so far as to say that it, it is a black comedy, and it it does. Like, it, it tells it, it, it tells a story of this guy who had this lifestyle of debauchery and who apparently even... I haven't read the book, but I've, I've heard that the real-life incidents were, were a lot more crazier and uh, there was stuff that was too explicit to put in the films. And you're laughing, you're laughing. You're really going along with this dude for the ride and until, like, the film swivels and makes you feel really bad for, uh, for enjoying the... the the last one and Mm -hmm. a half hours of the film. Because this movie is not about a nice guy. It it highlights the gross excess of capitalism, of what it can do to a person, of what um, ultimately ends up driving um, a a certain number of... Like a certain set of individuals when they come across wealth, almost gargantuan amounts of wealth and the extent that they're going to go to, to to almost double, triple it in, in certain scenarios. So... I, um, it's, it is a film that has immense rewatch value because it's absolutely entertaining. It is a, I think, in my opinion, probably Leo DiCaprio's career best performance. Should have won for this as opposed to Revenant where it was just most acting award. Uh, I think <laughs> he really captures that, that, that Jordan Belfort, that vibe, that used car salesman um, energy that Belfort gives off so well. Melbourne, yeah, and uh, as well as he's super supremely supported by what's his name by, by Jonah Hill, who I I think this was the first time I'd seen Moneyball before this, so I knew he had the acting chops in him. And this uh, was, this still is his best performance for me. Yeah, and I think so. I think anyone who goes back would probably be like, yeah, Jonah Hill's best I fun hands down his best performance. I think Moneyball comes yeah. a close second, but uh, this is, he probably has a lot more to do here than he does with Moneyball. Uh, yeah. And Ma- I think Margot Robbie comes out of this as, the, uh, as, the, as a surprise package. Nobody knew who she was. Um, you'd seen her briefly in About Time, I think in the same year as well. I think About Time was, was a Valentine's Day summer release. I, I, I could be wrong. And this came out at the end of the year. And like her star absolutely exploded. And she just like I remember watching the movie and thinking to myself, Oh, um, you know what? This is this is um like this is Harley Quinn. This could be a Harley Quinn because she had that a Brooklyn accent. Yeah. <laughs> she had that Brooklyn accent down to a T. And um Oh my was, God, that accent is so fucking
1: annoying, dude. Like, is it really that? Is, do people actually talk like that? I don't think... Yeah, like, from, there,
0: there is a section in Brooklyn, I think specifically Bay Ridge, where people joy, have... Jory! you? Like, please! <laughs> very, very, very heavy uh, Brooklyn accent. So, um, it's... Uh, like she, she really captured that little... You know, what it is to be True. somebody who, who grew up in that area uh, so well. True. Now, um, what are your thoughts on this before I can like, go into detail?
1: Mm, ironically, this is a movie that I only watched once. Because oh. uh, it made me very... Like it is, this is decidedly not on my rewatchables list because of the very reasons you mentioned, right? The, mm-hmm. It depicts the gross excesses of capitalism. Um, it is played for humor. Scorsese, yeah. I think... He wants to draw you in under the guise of humor... And sort of flip the book on you... Which is exactly what you mentioned, right? You mm-hmm. experience the movie... The way Scorsese intended the audience to. So... Clearly it worked and I think you... Uh, you basically experience the director's vision... Which is great. I could not watch it that way. For me, even the first one and a half hours... When all of those shenanigans were happening... I was just like, this is not cool. Like, This is... Uh, just, I'm not enjoying it. This, mm-hmm. Like if I had money... If I was, even if I was obscenely rich, we all have these dreams, right? I, I yeah. envision myself of being a very different kind of person mm. uh, if if I was, you know, born into wealth or if I come into money. But uh, this was just completely antithetical to the way I think, think like to think. Mm. Yeah, and I was just like, I am not, I did not like the movie, honestly. I am in that and I've never, And you know, I don't publicize this view because <laughs> majority loves the movie. But I actually don't like the movie. And, and, and I and I think in a way, it's okay to not like the movie because the character is not likable. And I think my reason to not like the movie is valid. It's about a
0: douchebag. So yeah, I don't like the movie. Sorry. And uh, it's it's funny because I think this is a movie written by Terence Winter. Terence Winter who has a, uh, a history of writing douchebag characters that people end up rooting for in some way or the other. Much to his amusement because he's like, he's repeatedly stated that these guys are dickheads don't, don't root for them <laughs> um, like and, and then he'll send you a, like a reminder somewhere down the line that oh hey I told you he's a dickhead like, like mm. I told him, and, and now I feel bad about it and there are several moments in this film where you're like what, what like and you start to question yourself and yeah. uh, I I have a lot of fun with it I get why it can be a little jarring and like, like especially some, someone who's coming from your point of view uh, but this is, this is a movie that, purely from an entertainment perspective, uh, I, I enjoy very well. I also like that he does end up getting his comeuppance and uh, as, as the story, pro, story progresses. Does he though? I mean, I, I want to just get,
1: discuss that point with you for a second. Mm-hmm. Because at the end, he again goes back to that pen example, right? And he still retains... He may not have his money. He's back to square one financially maybe. But he still has that confidence which I'm I'm putting a positive spin on what is essentially cockiness. He has that cockiness, that bravado and from his demeanor, it doesn't look like he has any repentance. He does not repent anything he has done. He probably regrets the fact that he got caught and lost Mm -hmm. everything. And is probably looking forward to... I, maybe in a different way, I will use these skills to try and make money. Maybe not in the financial markets because I'm barred or whatever. Yeah. I'll, I'll think, try something else. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, in real life, Jordan Belfort, I think, ended up becoming a motivational speaker or or some shit like that. I don't yeah. know. But uh, there is no redemption. I mean, the if you look at it as a, char- as a character arc, right?
0: Hmm.
1: I don't think it, it was ever
0: told... As
1: the redemption yeah, story. Yeah, I it's guess. It's not a redemption yeah, story. I guess.
0: It's it's, uh, it's it's basically about a guy... It's circular to, in that sense. It comes back to yeah, square one. Comes back to square one. But I think this time... Um, like, you know this is a guy that is is not a good guy. You know this is a guy mm-hmm. that will, will cut you in your sleep if he needs to make money out of it. And he's chastened, but he's not reformed. That's exactly. how I would put it. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. And I think now he's realized... Lucky like uh, John Belford has been bumping NFTs for quite some time in real life, so I should of tell about, he has, yeah, of, of where he is. Um, but as as much as the, the human is is is, what, is the kind of person that he is, the film is is probably one of Scorsese's best films, in my opinion. I think, and I, I think a lot of people share share that view as well. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it absolutely whizzes by. I don't think there's a second in the film where you're like, "Okay, I'm getting bored. The movie's dragging." i have to agree. Yeah, it's just. It, Thelma Shulmaker is top form as uh, one of the best editing jobs you'll see uh, in, in a film. And as a, as I, as for performances, I mentioned how this could possibly be Leo's career best. And I, I think it's a, it's a film because. Of the subject matter that it tackles, it it gets a bit of a, a raw deal when it comes to Scorsese's filmography. It's definitely for me in his top five. I would go so far as to say that it's maybe mm-hmm. it'll probably be at fifth, at number five or, or four, depending. But definitely a top five Scorsese films of all time. I watched it again very recently to see how it had aged, and it hasn't aged one bit. It looks and um, and, and feels just like it it did the way the day I first saw it. No oh, good. I think I've said what I, I had to say too. Yeah. So no. No. I think we can possible. move
1: on. Okay. Coming to my third and last entry. Uh, I mean, this is this is a bit tongue in cheek. Uh, to call this a rewatchable movie because that is kind of built into the fabric of the movie itself. I would say this is a, a modern day Groundhog Day. Uh, I'm talking about 2014's Edge of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, starring Tom Cruise and Emily Emily Blunt. Blunt. I'm talking about uh, 2014's uh, Edge of Tomorrow... starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt... and Bill Paxton and... uh, Brendan Gleeson and the others don't matter. Mm. So, uh, again, actually, think about it. It's a very smart movie in the sense that... beyond Tom Cruise, they haven't really spent much on... you know, big names. And, I mean, that's the benefit of getting Tom Cruise. You don't really need to get anyone else on your cast. He'll, He'll pull in the audiences. But, quickly... Uh, let me explain. The movie Earth is attacked by this race of aliens called the Mimics. Um, and uh, humanity is quickly overrun by them because they seem to be able to know what's, how to best uh, fight the humans. They they cannot be taken by surprise. They can anticipate every move that humans make and overcome that. And humanity is at a, at a loss for how to sort of tackle deal with them. And there's this Normandy-esque sort of, you know, big push. It's like all or nothing sort of push that the movie starts off on. Mm-hmm. Or Tom Cruise is a former colonel who is demoted for uh, some reason. Or whatever, he's sent to the front to uh, cover the war. And uh, be- ends up becoming a, uh, an infantryman in the war. Uh, and he ends up killing a mimic. Something happens. Oh, actually, we can spoil it, yeah. He kills the mimic and sort of imbibes its blood, and that yeah. gives him the day that uh, that gives him the ability that he, whenever he dies, uh, because he has that mimic's blood, the day sort of resets, hmm. and uh, he gets to relive that day uh, until whatever, and he keeps dying, and he needs to figure out how, what to do with it, right? And Emily Blunt is this legendary fighter who uh, everyone looks up to, and Tom Cruise decides, hey, let me go to her and tell her I have this thing. What do I do with it? Turns out Emily Blunt herself had the same power for a bit and the two of them team up and try to like take down the mimics and end the war. That, in, I mean, I won't get into specific plot details. What obviously makes this movie a lot of fun to watch is those, I mean, there are so many ways he dies in and the day the keeps Groundhog elements.
0: Hmm.
1: The groundhog elements of it. And I, what I love about this screenplay here, I would say more than, I mean, it is a mix of script and screenplay, but they progress the storyline through these cuts of him dying. Like... Yeah. It, uh, how do I put it? So, his day starts with him meeting uh, Bill Paxton's character. He has to do drills and then go to the war. Uh, war. Yeah. They, and he's dying many times in this routine. Mm-hmm. And they just show next death he's made a little further. Next death he's made a little further. It's a beautiful way to progress the story while retaining the comic element of him dying because they, they mine a lot of comedy from that. There's one scene which I particularly love when he's trying to roll under a truck and and, uh, escape the drill, and the truck goes over his head, and Tom Cruise has this "Ah!" kind of scream. (laughs) I I never, there's the most unexpected thing. I fucking burst out laughing the first time I saw it. And Tom Cruise does comedy quite well. I would not have, he doesn't have too much of a comedy ooze, so I I would not have, you know, uh, pegged him to do that, but uh, he, he does perform comedy quite well and uh, he's this literally man out of time uh, situation he's in. He plays that off really well. Emily Blunt is a super em- empowered, super... How do you put it? It's, she's one of the most capable uh, female characters I have seen in cinema, right? Because mm-hmm. She's actually much more equipped to handle this than Tom Cruise. He's the yeah. air quotes protagonist of the movie but she is the most powerful character in the movie undoubtedly yeah. and uh, I love the way Emily Blunt has been characterized now that I've said all of these progressive things I can also say Emily Blunt is hot as fuck in the movie uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't
0: yeah, want you to see, start seen off the, you seen scene. the, the like... <laughs> I assume you're referring to the scene where she's doing the the one hand push ups or like
1: yes the, <laughs> yeah, the push ups yeah. yeah yeah I mean yeah. That, that is the scene it's in, and they know right they're doing it they've, they've shot it in slow mo uh, yeah. she's center frame yeah. and you're all like uh, I should mm-hmm. go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, uh, lovely characters, lovely pacing. I it's on Netflix, so I whenever I'm bored, I know for a fact if I open my Netflix now, Edge of Tomorrow is at some stage of completion because I keep watching <laughs> random scenes, and then I, you know, I'll, I'll pop, big, pop back in when I want to. It's, it's just I,
0: I'm literally at, in a way, I'm always watching that movie. <laughs> oh. It's one of my favorite Tom Cruise films. I've seen it just a handful of times since, since it's released. Uh, and, but not, not in, the recent, in the recent few years. But also, I'm going to like take that as a, as a win for me because it's a, it's a manga adaptation that you like. It's based on a Japanese <laughs> manga called All You Need Is Kill. Uh, and, hmm. and it tells the story of, like, you know, of Edge of Tomorrow. Now, this movie bombed for some weird reason, which for me is still one of the Terrible movies. marketing. Like yeah, um the the it is what you put I would not expect Tom Cruise to have been in this film, but the fact that he's in this movie and he's so good tells you um, a lot about his acting his acting quality, right? Or rather his his ability to switch between those roles. Because you never would ever picture Tom Cruise to be this bumbling idiot of a buffoon. That he ends up being. And you see that, that character growth. In ultimate, and at the end of the movie, he's Tom Cruise. Because that's where Tom Cruise is now. <laughs> he has the experience and, and so on and so forth. But at the start, it's, it's almost... It's a little jarring because you're like, Okay, um, I'm not used to this. But it's working. And you're just like, I'm, I'll, I'll go along for the ride. Uh, director, I think this is directed by Doug Lyman or Lehman. Yes, yes, yeah. Who was a, a long-time Hollywood director. Did Mr. and Mrs. Smith. For those of you who've seen that, that's also rewatchable if you think about it. But true. Here, here the um, this is a super fun film. I I watched it in the theater with my folks. Actually, my you folks. make a very good point.
1: I, I I was just thinking while you were talking. If you think of most Tom Cruise movies, right? It, the structure that the movie follows is Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise, the like, star. You know, yeah, he's, he's, he kicks ass. He kicks ass at whatever he's supposed to do. Think of yeah. Top Gun. Think of Color of Money. All of it. He kicks ass at being himself. Then this the mid, middle of the movie is everyone telling Tom Cruise, don't be Tom Cruise, and he's like, yeah. maybe I should not be Tom Cruise. And then towards the end, he's like, Fuck you, I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> this movie sort of flips it on its head because for most of the movie he's incompetent. He's he's you know not at ease with his surroundings. So it it flips that's you know what his career has mostly been. It sort of uh subverts expectations to use that much-hated phrase, no. Mm-hmm. And uh, does does a great job of it.
0: Is this like, if you were to like say rank your top five Tom Cruise films, would this be on the pure entertainment value? Yeah, dude, definitely, definitely. I
1: would say top, yeah, top five easily. I Easy, mean, the right, top has... three would be MI movies. So yeah, it, uh, possibly one of the,
0: the one. Yeah, I think this would rank higher than let's say for me, higher than Ghost Protocol purely because if it's uh, of what. Its source material is like and how it and how the movie is handled. I love Ghost Protocol, yeah, 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 one yeah. of the best MI films, but uh, this is I, I, I really do enjoy this film. Do you know for a brief bit of trivia, movie trivia, what was it called for a bit? It was called Live and Die, something. kill, die, repeat, kill, die, live, repeat, die, repeat. Yeah. Or live, die, no, repeat, no, live, right live die, repeat, yeah. And it was released in, in certain territories because. Um, the movie wasn't doing too well, so it got renamed as Live, Die, Repeat,
1: which was kind of odd. So basically, they know. did a lot of last-minute marketing rehashing, which really harmed the movie's prospects, which is why it didn't do well. That's a There's good lot idea. lot of stupid studio
0: decisions. And, but now, I think, ever since Tom Cruise has fully turned the tables on, uh, on studios, he has absolute fucking creative control. And if you've noticed, like yeah. off late, there have been a bunch of conversations with, with certain CEOs of big movie studios who have all said movies would no longer be going directly to streaming. They would be going to yeah, in the theater first. And every single one of those people has Tom, has Tom Cruise Tom for what he did with Top Gun Maverick. Uh, I think Evil Dead Rise, which, was, which, which is a movie I just watched, uh, was supposed to go direct to streaming, but it was it tested so well with its audiences they put it in a movie theater and I could not have imagined watching that movie on uh on a small screen now, of course, I will watch it when it comes on small screens but it but a horror premise that is it's almost up here in terms of like tension comedy and there's a fair bit of both in 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 the film deserves to be watched in a in a live uh like in in a, in, a, in a with a huge theater, theatrical audience. Similarly, with lived. I Repeat, I think, because one of the, the things I really enjoyed was the theater reaction to the film. Because nobody knew what this movie was about. Like I, We saw Tom Cruise on the poster and said, okay, cool, I'm going to go watch this movie with, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. <laughs> and it's an action <laughs> film. Let's see what, what happens. And it turned out to be a super fun, intelligent film. So my dad, who doesn't really care much for action films, had a great time with the movie. And he said, oh, that's a movie I would like to watch again and observe. Yeah. And more to your point, I think Tom
1: Cruise understands the spectacle of cinema. And in yes. a way, you know, people keep saying he's the last of the Hollywood movie stars. Maybe the, maybe Dwayne Johnson has a claim to be one of those. Johnson. You know, there's very exactly. few p- names where... No, no. where You know, where just the presence of one name can draw a crowd. Dwayne Johnson maybe has his own demographic. We might not be it. But Tom Cruise is the last movie star in that sense. And he understands the spectacle of cinema. He understands... What do you put out there to draw crowds in? What really? He understands the essence of what makes people go to movies. At least action cinema. Like, even the Dead Reckoning teaser, they did the whole Norway Jump video. Mm, I watched the video. I was like, is this guy fucking insane? That was my first thought. And my second (laughs) thought was, sign me the fuck up. I'm watching this movie in the theater
0: yeah opening day imax but you, you notice like there are a bunch of knockoffs for the tom cruise uh, action films i don't know if you if you saw ghosted which is a movie i saw recently uh, starring D. and and chris evans now a movie starring anadarmaas and chris evans and about let's say a, it's a spy thriller like like a spy action film what's it doing on streaming uh, and i watched the movie and i know exactly what it was doing on streaming and there was a very interesting uh, Conversation that Dexter Fletcher, that the director of the film had, he said he planned this whole action sequence um, at the start of the film with Anadi character that got vetoed by the Apple execs because um, people would switch off if nothing happened in the first thirty seconds. So the way movies are made for streaming are all oh,
1: it's all data
0: driven, like yeah, oh, it's all based know, on watch time.
1: That and when we make these ads, I remember in our agency jobs, we'd be like, oh, how yeah. many people have dropped? What is the view-through rate? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. rate, all these fucking analytics driving creativity.
0: Fuck that shit. So it's like, you have Tom Cruise who's basically the spearhead of, of, of creative action cinema. And on the other hand, you have what I think uh, Lon Harris, who is a guy who works is a um, really famous YouTube personality, coined the term of Red Notice movies, which are movies that have big stars in them. That are essentially bad films, but they have big stars in them, and uh, they have just about enough entertainment value to keep the viewers watching them all the way through. You know, Red Notice—they have algorithmed. Is, they have
1: algorithmed
0: movie making. Which exactly. I guess, like, yeah. Have you know? Do you know Red Notice is the most watched movie on? Was the most watched movie last year on uh, Netflix? I watched five minutes. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Right. And and that's it's it's a terrible film, but. People love it because yeah. it's just one of those things that you can keep going, and you're and you'll jump back keep in. It. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It, it, it felt like a movie that was made in in a boardroom, as opposed to Mission Impossible, as opposed to Tom Cruise films, where you feel the scale and the, and the sense of it. I mean, I'm, this is yeah. fast turning into a Tom Cruise episode. It's not supposed to be that. So I'm going to stop talking about it. We'll address this on the MI episode, which I think, oh fuck, that's an that's an idea. <laughs> we'll yes. we'll we'll get to um, we'll get to all of I this. I think closer story. to Dead Reckoning, we definitely yeah. should. Yeah. We should. So, okay. Anything more? To, I have nothing more to add on Live, Die, Repeat. Or, oh my God, look <laughs> at that. Look, see, what, see what's happened to me. I have nothing more to add <laughs> on uh, towards Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, I think it's a great film. I think it's one, it's severely underrated for those of you who haven't seen it. You should go yeah. check it out. It's on Netflix everywhere. Okay, let's move back to mine. And so, um, hmm. staying in line with douchey characters, I have um, I have rewatched. I have begun my rewatch of The Sopranos, and I'm going to talk about it as to why it's so rewatchable.
1: This I wanted to ask you. You didn't you watch Sopranos for the first time like a month ago? How is already in a rewatchable? What the
0: fuck, bro? I could you not in terms of uh, my what do you call? I started watching Succession uh, soon after because I like I had to catch up on Succession. I got bored halfway through and said, look, I need to watch The Sopranos again because it was I had such a good time with it. Now I know this is cheating. Uh, I know this is only my second rewatch of the show, but I assure you there will be several more rewatches of the show as the years progress because God damn is this show good! Um, you, you know you look back at time you look back at the shows that you've watched. Let's say Breaking Bad, you looked at Ozark, you looked at all these shows with big anti-hero characters, and you trace it all back to fucking Tony Soprano. Oh, the first episode of, of the first season it took me years to get through, and. When I eventually did and I got to episodes two, three, four, I couldn't believe that I had sat out on this and not watched it because I, I really enjoy good writing in television and I enjoy good characters and this is a story about a mob boss for those of you who don't know Sopranos is a story of, of a mob boss who's obviously trying, trying to balance his mob life not like a big his... one he's like a small time mob boss yeah he's like an underboss important. For, yeah uh, and uh, he's he's the underboss to uh, to one of the to the main boss of Jersey. And uh, he's trying to balance like his work while as, as well as his family life, which is more or less falling apart. He, his kids hate him. <laughs> wife, uh, he, his wife and him have this lovely relationship and uh, he has like a bunch of, boobahs. I think she almost pities him. She doesn't. She has the, the so I'm going to get to it. and I think we will get to it in, uh, in the Sopranos episode when you do finish catching up because I think Carmela Soprano is a very interesting character because she is the definition of a hypocrite, and the way her character builds out through the show is absolutely insane. You have, of course, the show stars James, the late great James Gandolfini, who at times is magnetic. He almost carries episodes by himself, but funnily enough, he's not like he's not just one great performance because Eddie Edie Falco, who plays his wife uh, Carmela, is extremely great um, Michael Imperioli who I first watched on the White Lotus which again is another great rewatch for me me, I always like for me seeing the jump of uh, the jump from White Lotus Michael Imperioli to uh, the Sopranos Michael Imperioli was very jarring because I know people a vast majority of the people who've seen the Sopranos have seen it first and then watched the White Lotus so, for me... That I like, did oh, the wow, other, okay. uh, other... I mean, I, I
1: watched Sopranos first. But when I watched... I saw him in White Rose. I'm like, this guy looks familiar. And I just opened his Wikipedia. hey, Malta Sunday. Oh,
0: fuck. <laughs> okay. Oh, you've seen the Sopranos? I have. I'll, I'll get to that. You you finish mm-hmm. here. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, I've begun... I am now on episode... On season 4. And I think I have now come to the conclusions... That seasons 3 and 4 are... Seasons 2 to 4, I think... Are my favorite parts of the Sopranos series. Because... They introduce some really nice characters. There, is, uh, there are some heavy emotional moments with the family. Uh, I think the addition of, of Ralphie, played by uh, Joe, Joe Pantoliano, he's, who is this vicious hmm. bastard that has a, a, a whole bunch of problems at, at home. The equation that him and, and Tony have and how, uh, how he relates with all the other side characters plays a really integral part of, of the third and the fourth season, but not more so than Gloria, who wants, who, who's this other female character that comes in that Tony has an interest in. I feel like I've babbled on about the show without actually giving the hook that got me onto it. It's basically about a mob boss who sees a therapist talking about his life problems, right? With mob life mm-hmm. and family life. Which is a very intriguing premise. And the conversations he has with this therapist through the six seasons of this, of this show... Are so profound, and I was like, wow, I did not expect this from an HBO show. Uh, and I understand why it, it was so damn good. At one point during the third, I think it was the, third the fourth season, I, I stopped watching it and went, <laughs> and I've very rarely done that in a television show. I was like, wow, I am amazed as to how good this show is. And uh, I'm going to be, before I like, Turn this into a one-man soprano show, and I'd like to know. You said you watched it, but not watched it. I want to know where, where this road was. <laughs> mm.
1: <laughs> no, firstly, I want to ask: Have you watched? Analyze this. Analyze that.
0: Yeah, the this thing, and I've, I
1: thought I, of that first. I, I, because... it, it just struck me, isn't that like a, a, a an homage or whatever? It's a it's a spoof of the sopranos, right? Like mob boss sees a therapist and. Therapist gets un- unnecessarily or too deeply involved in the mob boss's life. I guess that's and, I, fun, and I watched this and that first, yeah, yeah, and *Sopranos* later. So yeah, coming. Let me reveal the mystery. I have watched a season and change. I think I watched the first season and maybe two episodes of season two. And I understand I the good parts of the show. Yeah. There's just too little happening in it. It's it's too much of a character study for me, hmm. and I maybe in my TV shows, I needed to be a little more dynamic. Movies like I can still watch something like a Moonlight, which is not a dynamic movie, right? But it's a it's a great character study. It's it's two hours something I can watch. It's six seasons of you know deconstructing Tony Soprano's insecurities. And you know, the events that happen in their life. I know it's a great show and like, you know, I'm not going to swim against the wave mm-hmm. of uh critical acclaim that the Sopranos mm-hmm. has. I think it arguably is listed as the best show ever. Like there's Breaking yeah. Bad, the Sopranos, and it's in that conversation. Mm-hmm. The wire, yes. I think the three of them Fuck, two of them are HBO. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh the three the three of them are in are in conversation. But um, I don't know, man. It's, uh,
0: I would I say be patient it with it. I slow. think, yeah, no, I, I feel like as much as, of course, the deconstruction. You know, I've given to... the same advice to people with regard to
1: Breaking Bad who have struggled through the first season. I've said be patient with it. It'll start paying off. But at the start of second season in Breaking Bad, act like things start moving forward. You know, things start happening. Like, two, I, I won't get into details, but Tuco, the, the fight that they have with Tuco, yeah. I'm like, okay, something is moving. I watched, a bit, I watched a bit of second season of Sopranos as well. I was like, this doesn't... And, it's, and correct me if I'm wrong. It's not a show where bombastic things happen, right? It's, it's not that kind of show. It, it is about... I mean,
0: it does. Bombastic things do happen. There are like several of them. Okay. Oh, of course, for sure. Hmm. But the thing is, because it's so often this guy trying to... Like, there's this guy, this is a deeply conflicted guy... Who is suffering... Like he's been cast yeah. into this life. He knows no other life. And he has to keep this facade together. While like if you've seen if you've seen the first season, he has a very fractious relationship with his mother. And the mother yeah. character in this show is absolutely oh my God. phenomenal. Livia Soprano is. She's yeah. the most terrifying
1: character. I would say she's master manipulator, overbearing mother. It's oops. yeah, it's
0: it's and his relationship with his family is yeah, like right down from his mother, that plays, and you'd see. Every, like, uh, with Melfi, the, the therapist, he addresses a lot of these issues, issues and she points out that a lot of your issues in life come from your mother, your sense of insecurity, mm. your need for validation from other women. You just didn't get from your mother. And it does, of course, refers to the Oedipal complex. There's an episode, I think, in season one called All Day I Dream of, uh, of Genie Cusimano. Genie uh, Cusimano, where, yeah. Where uh, Tony meets this, meets this girl from Italy and then he realizes... yeah. yeah it never existed in the first place. And it was like a, um, a fever dream of of, how, of of something that was related to his mother. And there's, of course, moments like that. And of course, you have the straight-up mafia boss moments. And there is what is widely considered to be the greatest Soprano episode ever in season three called Pine Barrens. Uh, and in Pine Barrens, I think polly and, 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 and Chrissy are sent to eliminate this Russian dude and they kind of muck about, muck, muck up with it. And it turns out he's some sort of a green beret who has some survival skills that has killed 16 people. And hmm. they lose him in this big snowy forest and they shoot him. And it's never confirmed whether he's dead or alive. But they get hopelessly lost. And it, it's, uh, it, it's a hilarious yet sometimes very tense scene. Because you never really know if the guy they ki- the guy they shot was actually killed. So it's these, and you're not quite mm-hmm. sure if these two are going to make it out of, the, out of the snow alive, given the way The Sopranos treats his characters. Like it, game, before Game of Thrones did it, I mean, Game of Thrones is literature, of course. Before Game of Thrones did it on television, The Sopranos has historically been very cruel to its characters and at points mm-hmm. makes it a point to the audience. David Chase himself has said, um, I don't want you to, like, to root for these people, right? Because they're. they're Animals and creatures. And I, my one yeah. criticism of the show would be that during the second half of season six, it really like falls off that, that, that edge that it's been teetering on for so long. And it points, it's, it felt like I was watching a different show because just how cruel everything became. And uh, that doesn't take away from what a great show it is. I think the season finale is one of my favorite season finales. Is I assume you know of the, the famous cut to black? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. There's a homage to the Godfather thrown in there. There are like countless theories. Uh, a lot of people across the U.S. were very pissed when it first aired. So it is widely considered to be one of the best uh, series enders ever. No, I think what the show does really well is it
1: de-glamorizes the mob life, you know? Oh, definitely. Because like I said, it's an important point that he's not a New York mafia. So he's... Mm. First of all, it's not New York. You know, there's the Jersey Mafia. So already you're like second tier. In that, he's probably like an underboss. I mean, he's not a capo exactly. He's an underboss. Mm-hmm. So he's second rung in a second rung Mafia. If you watch Godfather, you see these people in like swanky suits, you know, slicked back hair doing big money deals, talking about honor and family and omerta and shit. Here, it's like, if people are dressed in t shirt and joggers, yeah. standing on street corners, freezing in the cold. You have to go and, you know, knock some heads to get some protection money. It's, you're hustling. It's, it's you don't know where your next racket is going to come from. It's, it's, a, it's unglamorous. It's, it's, a, there's a desperation to it. There is a, an uncertainty. It's, it's, they really show, hey, you know, a life of crime doesn't pay the way the movies have shown it to be. That's not how this works. This is a lot closer to reality.
0: And there's a great podcast mm. to go with it as well. So Talking Sopranos debuted in 2020, uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of the actually every person who featured on the on the show has come on as a guest to talk about their experiences and and how their character motivations uh, were were given during the show. So I know you've like kind of put it aside for a while. But I fully, I, like I know your taste in, in television. I think you'll like it if you give it a chance. Now that um, HBO is back in India. Now that you've
1: told me there are uh, bombastic things happening, yes. I mean, I have something to... Because honestly, if it's just, you know, Tony Soprano, 16 of him saying, yeah, my life is depressing. I'm in No, that, that, that,
0: yeah. that happens too. That happens too. But there is... <laughs> it's, it's the other characters that come into play that really start to fuck with him. So that's mm-hmm. something you should check
1: out. Okay, okay. Let it come back on Geo Cinema. I will, I will check it.
0: Cool. But yeah, that's that's
1: our uh, second set of rewatchables. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you think, and tell us if there's something you felt was more rewatchable than the ones we mentioned, and something you'd like for us to discuss. Uh, we can definitely do that. How do we do that, Abhin? How do they get, get There'll be a little. Uh,
0: there'll be a little. What do you call? Uh, question box at, at, at the, below the episode link or rather below, below the play button. I shall tell you uh, if you, it'll ask you to like leave your suggestions there. And uh, please, you can let us know because I, I, I think we've, <laughs> we, we are, considering we've been in sequel month, we're looking to take the show in a different direction. We have a few ideas, but we'd also love to know what our audience would like to listen, what you specifically would like to listen to. And watch. Uh, I think now the ability to, to cast a multicam podcast is upon us uh, with AI doing its wonderful things. So if you're if you're a fan of video podcasts, just uh, let us know and we'll take, them, take this to the video medium completely. And that will be hell for me because I am very bad with saying things to a camera. But I will do it for you because I love you all.
1: Also, we are on Instagram. Uh, yes. two so, please pod.
0: Please, please uh, do follow us there. Have you got anything else? No, we're not. they We're not. So yeah, that's it. Uh, we'll see you soon. And take care. Goodbye. So they opened their big mouths and out came talk, talk, talk.